Welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American women on leadership and culture. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. This podcast has been created to carve out a space for Asian American women to explore and validate living in both Eastern and Western worlds. Each week, we will celebrate our heritage and highlight Asian American history. My guests and I will explore our various Asian American journeys, both the parts that we are proud of and the parts that have brought pain. We'll discuss practical tips on leadership and our favorite comfort foods, of course. This is a place and a space to bring words and understanding to our shared experience living biculturally. I am so glad you're listening and look forward to your feedback. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to season two of Someday is Here. My name is Vivian Mabuni and I am your host of this podcast. We are in a really unprecedented time with COVID-19 and most of the country um, currently in shelter in place and every day the circumstances are changing and um, it really is unlike any time in history that any of us have ever lived through. So I'm excited to introduce to you today's guest. Um, Anjali Peschel is a, a brand new author. Her book just came out this last week. It's the book Stay. Um, discovering grace, freedom, and wholeness where you never imagined looking. And I kind of find it um, encouraging. I don't know if that's the right word I'm looking for, but the fact that her book would be called Stay and would release during this time when we all are called to stay in place is significant to me. Uh, we talk about in, uh, in our conversation about um, not trying to build a platform, but instead dig a well and really being where we are and digging until we find water. And I think that there's so much about our conversation that was so rich. I really look forward to you listening to our conversation. But just a little bit of background about Anjali. She, um, before becoming a mom to five, uh, spent time as a photographer and went all around the world um, studying. She has a graduate degree um, from Talbot Seminary in spiritual formation and soul care. She also studied psychology at Point Loma Nazarene University in her undergraduate um, life. She uh, is, the like as I mentioned, the mom to five and has been married for, for 15 years to her husband. They live in San Diego. And Anjali is the founder of the Moms We Love Club, which is a social media campaign designed to raise uh, financial support and just um, emotional support for moms during long-term hardship. Um, it's been amazing to, to see how that really movement has really generated a lot of encouragement and uh, just a picture of the strength that comes about when women link arms. So I can't wait for you to see all these different places on uh, social media where she is um, at work her Instagram page is beautiful and knowing that she has a photography background really helps to make sense that her her photos are beautiful and the words she writes are truly beautiful. She uh, really is uh, committed to um, communicating specifically about motherhood, but she goes beyond that as well. And what I really loved about our conversation is uh, Anjali is, is um, half Thai and half Caucasian, and she is on her journey in discovering um, what it means to be an Asian American woman. And I really loved our back and forth conversation. Um, to me, it's it was a very encouraging conversation. And I really appreciated Anjali's honesty and her willingness to kind of jump in and ask questions. Um, and we just had a great conversation. I, I will look forward to getting to meet Anjali in person soon. But enjoy today's um, show and go check out her book stay it just released um, i'll be posting photos on my own instagram it'll be at target and, and amazon so pick up a copy um, she really addresses the the 
the very place that we are now with um, disappointment and pain and how we want to run, but the, the gifts that come because we stay. So I'm excited for you to get to know my new friend, Anjali. Enjoy. This week's Did You Know, uh, since Anjali is, is half Thai, I thought I would look into Thai American history. And it's interesting because the immigration of Thai people to the United States began pretty slowly. Um, basically, after the Vietnam War, uh, where Thailand was an ally of the U.S. and South Vietnam, it shows that there's um, like 5,000 Thai immigrants that came to the United States between 1960 and 1970. Um, and then uh, it just kind of gradually grew. Um, the famous Thai people that you may not know are Chrissy, Chrissy Teigen, Brenda Song, and Tiger Woods. They are some of um, the Thai Americans that are celebrities in our midst. So I'm excited to learn more about Thai culture. I know most of us know about Thailand through food, which is incredible. There's so much good Thai food out there, but there's just so much more. So I would encourage you to look into um, Thai culture and to study up on Thai American history. And that's this week's Did You Know? Welcome back to Someday is Here, and today I have the privilege of introducing to you a new friend, Angeli Pascal. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Yay! Uh, She is a new friend via social media, which is, you know, sometimes social media gets such a bad rap, but there are some really great things that come out of social media. And so um, Angeli and I connected through Instagram and we have many mutual friends, and now our circles are recrossing. So I am thrilled to introduce to you first-time author of the book, Stay, which is coming out March 31st. Um, Mama Five lives here in Southern California in San Diego and um, really has a heart to really um, help women, especially moms, um, just who are in long-term hardship situations. She, in the last two years, has really rallied an entire community to raise money for moms that are in really difficult situations. And so it's going to be such a fun conversation. I can't wait. So welcome to the show. Thank you. It is so good to be here. Well, there is so much fun. So we're just pretty much just having coffee, and I wish it was in person, but we are we are lifting our mugs. <laughs> Cheers! Virtually, our lukewarm our, coffee. Our lukewarm coffee. It's true. It's the one that gets reheated. Yeah. Like, how many times do I find? Today. Seriously, how do I? How many times do I find my coffee mug in the microwave? Mm, you know, hours later. Yeah, pretty much. I'd be like, no wonder I was dragging today. There so. it was. <laughs> So, well, for my listeners, please just help us get to know you a little bit, and then we'll dive into the regular questions. But I would love for our listeners to hear about you. Yeah, it is really wonderful to be here. Um, So kind of like you mentioned, I have five kids. I have quite a journey with motherhood. I mean, when I got married, my, I told my husband, I don't even, I can't have kids. So we were on the track of we're going to adopt and do that whole journey. And then I got pregnant kind of miraculously and God flipped my life upside down through motherhood. And I, I feel like I've spent the last, you know, 10 years writing about it and just sharing about my journey and really talking about the hard, holy, beautiful parts of motherhood and how God Mm breaks us through it. So motherhood is a big part of my life. Um, I also spent a good seven years being a photographer, traveling all around the world. And so God had this way of marrying some of my passions, which were motherhood and photography. And that's how I stumbled upon Instagram. Mm. And through there kind of met different wonderful people than kind of what you mentioned started. a campaign, a social media feed just to support moms who are going through some really hard times. So, mm. I mean, I guess a good way to sum me up is I'm, I'm typically late. I'm almost always wrestling with guilt and mm. 
I've had a long-term battle with loneliness. So Mm. that's me um, finding just God in the middle of my messy story. Mm. So were you... um, so were you diagnosed with infertility when you said you can't have kids? Like what was right. that part of? So no, I actually have um, a tumor on my uh, pituitary gland. So my hormones, my body is never, it's always irregular. And wow. so I didn't even start my period till I was well into my 20s because I was was really messed up inside. Hmm. So that was, there was this place where it was like, you know what? Kids might just not be in my future. Wow. And it was like, okay. You know, when I was so young, so it was like, all right, I guess I'll just adopt. You know, it didn't really, it didn't really rattle my life very much. Hmm. We got married and it was like, wow, this is a real thing. Hmm. But God kept giving us babies. (laughs) And wow. Our little, our fifth one, we like to, I call her my encore baby. (laughs) Because <laughs> I felt like God was like, I love what's happening here. Let's talk mm-hmm. more. Let's just uh, add more to this. That's just definitely a surprise. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> I remember um, one of my girlfriends went from three to four, and I just asked her like, "What is that like to go from three to four? And she goes, "Oh, well, pretty much just somebody's always crying." <laughs> <laughs> Me <laughs> or my husband or one right, of exactly one of the so it was just normal. So yeah. Did you notice anything from four to five? Oh, it was the best ever. Really? I was super resistant. But you know what I noticed? Because my first four were pretty close in age. Um, and my fifth one came about three years later. Um, instead of just my husband and I loving that child. It was my husband and I and all four of the other kids. Mm. So it was just, it was just a love fest for that little thing. Oh. I mean, he likes nothing. Yeah. <laughs> She's doing just fine. She's doing just fine. I love it. That is beautiful. Well, let's back up, back up. Okay, let's go. And yeah, so share with me some of your ethnic journey as yes. an Asian American woman and take me back. Take me back. So I grew up in, I'm from San Diego. Uh, my dad is Thai, born and raised in Thailand. Okay. My mom is Caucasian, bo- uh, born in America, but raised in India. Wow. So, yeah, she's a missionary. She was a missionary kid. Okay. My grandparents uh, served the Tibetans during the, the exile of Tibetans into India. Wow. Amazing. They worked actually with the Dalai Lama and his family and the bodyguards as they were Tibetans were mush- pushed into China. So when my parents met, they met in America, uh, you know, it was a confusing time for them. Mm. You know, both of them had real cultural confusion. Mm -hmm. There's a better word for that. Um, Met, got married, um, and then their hearts were to serve international students. So they've Mm -hmm. been in ministry serving international college students in San Diego for over 45 years. Wow. So I grew up in a home that really functioned like a hostel. Hmm. So people, international students, would sleep on the couch, eat out of our refrigerator, um, dance in our living room, play music mm. all night long, make noodles around midnight. You know, that was <laughs> very normal. So that growing up for me was very, that was home and very. Mm. Now, when I was, this is interesting. And I, I have to stop because there's a part of me that sharing this part of my journey feels wrong. Like, I don't know. I, sometimes I feel like something's wrong with me. This mm. is my thinking. Okay. So that was my home life growing up. On, and I don't know why. I, I'm still working this out. Like, mm-hmm, what, mm-hmm. I, what is this? But growing up Asian American um, was one of the most wonderful things in my life. And sometimes I feel like guilty about that. Mm. Talk to me. Like I did not experience racism. Mm. And I experienced the opposite. Like I was praised. I was unique. I was different in a really good way. 
Hmm. And I feel bad saying that. I don't know why. Like, hmm. and I think that's partly because I don't, I have not met a lot of Asian Americans who have had a similar journey. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I feel like, oh, maybe I should have had a really bad experience or something. Mm. But let me explain more, maybe. Yeah, yeah. By, go. By, in my church, um, I think because my who my parents were and their role, I was really put on a pedestal. Mm. Um, because it was almost like there's no one like me, mm-hmm. and I, I almost went the other way, Vivian. Of like that makes me special. Mm. And so I have had to, and my friend group, all Caucasian. I don't think I had an Asian friend until I was 16. Okay. So all my friends were Caucasian white. They are just such great friends. Mm -hmm. They loved me. They would come into our home with all the, you know, smells and tastes and humor Mm -hmm. that's different. Mm -hmm. And they, they felt like they were at home. Like that was the place we we would hang out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I felt very embraced in my friendships and in my church community. And I feel like the work I've had to do is, oh, I'm special not because I'm Thai. Mm-hmm. I'm special because I belong to a community and a mm-hmm. family. And, on, and for me, a church that mm-hmm. loves me mm-hmm. and a God I believe has called me his daughter. So I feel like I've had to do some reverse work here. Sure, sure. Like this thing that I used as a badge of pride almost. Mm. Like it was, there was a stripping season of, well, that's who I am, but that's not totally who I am. Mm. And I even found when I did encounter Asian Americans, women, that is the place I've actually felt like I belonged the least. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, it's, yeah, it's definitely been a journey. Yes, and a well, grief, and a grief in that. Like, and here, let, I mean, being super honest here, my a friend of mine invited me to the wonderful conference you just did, and her words in the message were this: um, "I hope you can make it. You belong there." And immediately, uh, my chest tightened because mm-hmm. in my mind, I was like, "No, I don't." Mm. I've never belonged with Asian Americans. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still obviously well, processing it, but yes, you I and even meeting you, you yes. even meeting you in the last you know two months has really. I mean, I've had conversations with my husband because I'm like, what's wrong with me? Mm. Why don't I feel like I that doesn't that I don't belong at that table. Hmm. That's how I felt. Right. Well, I love that we're having this conversation because I do believe that there's so, all of us are on a journey, you know, embracing, and there is a whole story of being mixed race that is different too. Like growing up in like a predominantly white environment, you know, exposure to those parts of us. And yet there's also a, um, something really beautiful about the timing, you know, that I, I think that, well, I just love that you're willing to step into it. And I think what was so amazing about the live event was that there were women that were, that were representing, you know, half Asian, half Caucasian, mixed yeah. race. We had, you know, just people on the entire, like feeling like Spectrum. going in, wondering like, do I fit, you know, adoptees? Like I have grown up completely different and yet there was some, uh, there was a, I think I'm excited for next year because I think you're going to come next year. For sure, for sure. But there's, I think the exhale that many felt and even the presenters I'd heard at different points were saying, I don't know if I fit. I wonder if they'll like me. Um, Am I too loud? Am I too, you know, too white or all of those questions? And I think, there was a beautiful sisterhood that came about because I think the table is wide and beautiful and, and diverse. And so. Well, and, and I anyway. think that's a really interesting thing to say because even in my assumption, it's like, Oh, all Asian Americans experience racism. Mm. And I, I just, maybe I'm in denial, you know, and I'm really trying to search my story, mm-hmm. and understand myself, but I just don't, I have, I don't 
I would, I don't, I didn't experience that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's the thing. Like, well, they all did and I didn't. Mm. So I can't fit there. Like, right. And I have felt the only way I can relate with Asian Americans is on that topic Mm. because I can't relate to racism. Mm -hmm. I don't belong there. Right. And it's so interesting because I do think that we try to often, well, we, I mean, it's, I think a very human thing to try to find places of connection, Yeah. but when it comes to Asian American, it's just too broad for us to really land on a shared experience that, you know, I think in my, in my opinion, I think it really is something. So I love that you're on this journey to try to gather some of that. Um, to be a, to begin exploring, um, I'm curious because as half Thai, half white, like what did people like when they saw you in San Diego? Did they assume you were Mexican? Did they? I mean, yeah. how did, what was that like for you? Like, did they? Did people just speak to you in Spanish and just assume? Yeah. Or well, and you know, I married a white Caucasian man. We have my first three kids were blonde. <laughs> you know, that's not normal. Um, so I definitely would get comments like, are you the nanny or are you the care, you know, where's their mom or, you know, comments like that. Um, but mostly Mexican, but I, it wasn't a lot. Mm -hmm. It would probably be Hawaiian Mm -hmm. that too. But again, for me, I turned that into like, Oh, I'm special. Mm. I'm different. You know, right. I'm unique. No one yeah. else looks like me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that's to be celebrated rather than to feel shame about. That's that how point? I took it. Yeah. This is my question. Like, was that being, was that a racist question that people would ask me? I think it really depends on the, um, the intent, you know, but I think that there's, so typically the, um, where are you from? Where are you really from? can be interpreted as being racist because there's an othering. Like, in other words, white is the central, like everyone is based out of a white space. So if you're not white, then you are, you don't belong, you know? So it's kind of like, where are you from? Where are you really from? Like, I grew up in Colorado, like all my life. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, I really am from there. Um, And so, you know, so there's that, there's that piece of the othering that can be interpreted as such, you know, like this is, A, a thing. I think there, although what I'm hearing from you, which is really beautiful, is that there's a, a grounding that you had growing up, whether it was your environment or just being around a very multicultural, yeah. you know, um, environment that it wasn't something to, to feel, um, I don't know, the, it kind of rolled off rather than stung. Right. In that sense. It was even to be like like, the nanny or something like that. Because I've had a friend who's Filipino. We were at a conference. She's dressed up really nicely. And a white guest came up and asked her out of the blue of all the people, like, can you make sure I get some extra towels? And it was very hurtful for her. Like, it was like, why do you assume that because of how my skin tone that I am a maid at this hotel? So those kinds of things can happen and can be hurtful. Totally. I think that it, that again, the identity piece keeps coming up for me because it was more of like, so my maiden name was money one and we were just a very familiar family in my community. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, Oh, are you a money one? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. You know, my church and uh, mainly church and some school, it was like, there weren't that many Asians. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oh, you're, and it felt good. They know Mm. me, you know? So, Mm. you know? Yeah. 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 Like being other was actually good the way Mm -hmm. I, the way I received it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love it. I love it because I think that it, it taps. And I think that there's kind of that, that unraveling that taps into things along the way, which then when you have friends that you can kind of process with like, Hey, how does, why is this not landing this way or whatever? It just helps to have others to kind of speak into it because the experience can be so unique that as much as our white friends love us, they're not living life the same way. So when they travel to the middle of nowhere, 
U.S., it's never an issue how they look. Mm. Whereas with someone with a darker hue or a different, com- you know, different complexion, different shaped eyes, we can go into an all white space and feel like, okay, I definitely can feel a little bit out of my comfort zone in a different way than my white friends do. It's so interesting. And I think that's a very good point of, uh, of the conversation because I'm, I, I'm just curious. There's a curiosity that's growing in me. Mm. Of what was it like for you? And mm-hmm. this is for my white friends, my yeah. dearest friends, because as you describe that scenario, it's like, I would much rather walk into a room with white people mm. than walk into a room with Asian people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that space that feels so safe. Yeah. And this is what was complicated, honestly, as we were preparing yeah. for this interview. I mean, we got we we had to postpone like a hundred times. So give me <laughs> give me more time to process this. So I think what was confusing is because growing up, I was surrounded by Asians, mm. and it was a wonderful experience. But and but there's two different things happening inside of me. There were Asians international students, mm-hmm. and Asian international students are different than Asian Americans. Yes, and so I feel. Give me all the Asian international students. Yes. They're like aunties and uncles to me. Mm-hmm, but give mm-hmm. me peers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel comfortable there. Yes. Oh my goodness. You are totally. And I think sometimes our white sisters kind of assume that it's all the same. So they'll come up to me and go, oh, I've been to Korea before. <laughs> like, and I'm not even Korean, but they'll say, oh, I've been to Korea before. And they'll be like, yeah, I've been there once too. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. But, you know, they're just assuming that I'm international or somehow linked. And so you're Can right. Can I ask you a question? American. Yes. What is, what in that moment is, uh, maybe painful for you if someone says, I've been to Korea before? Ooh, that's a, well, thank you. I, what, it, what's painful for me is that there was not t- any time invested into hearing my own story, okay. you know? So it's just like, you're looking at my face and you're making assumptions just based on um, how I look without knowing any of my story without. So there's that, again, that othering, like you, you certainly, um, I think that the intent behind this should try to make some kind of a connection, but it's like, there were Chinese people that fought in the civil war. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's us history that has been in just that, you know, my, my ancestors, and I have friends who, you know, helped build the railroad, you know, gold mine, San Francisco, the whole thing, Chinese, but they were not ever allowed to marry outside of Chinese. They were not allowed to own land because of who they were, like how they looked. So that kind of piece, there's a whole history behind, you know, again, it's like this, it's a, a centered piece of like, um, you know, we the people, you know, from the Declaration of Independence never included people of color, Mm -hmm. you know, it really, and, and voting wasn't even for women until (laughs) 19, whatever, 20 or what it was. So, so there's that sense of like, okay, that's what is hurtful. Like, please take time to assume, not assume. And, and um, just because I have an Asian face doesn't mean that I'm not American, you know, like, or that kind of piece. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It makes me think of, um, okay, two things. It makes me think of is the importance of when we meet anyone to find ways to connect with them mm-hmm. that are not physically based. Hmm. Because... We just have no idea the wound that it pricks. Sure. I mean, it makes me think about how many people like from the Midwest or the East Coast that I've met with an accent. I mean, is this crazy? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I doing the wrong thing here? Help me process this. Where it's like, I should not listen to their accent and be like, oh, you're from Boston. Or is that different though? Because yeah, that, and I there's say- not a history of the right. pain. The pain that surrounds that. So I think it is a little bit different. And I do think that there is something to be said about the celebration of how we look, that that actually is um, even our standards of beauty. Yeah. You know, so there's colorism where even within the African-American or Asian 
American community, we want to look the white, whiter we look, the more we're accepted, or that's assumed as beautiful, the larger our eyes. So how many, you know, Asian American women who don't have a double eyelid will get surgery to have that because that's the, that's the standard of beauty. And it's just ridiculous. And it's so, and everyone, this is the truth. I feel like there's all kinds of, everyone has these different standards, right? Because in my community, the darker, the better. Mm. It was like we would go to tanning salons. We would lay out for hours <laughs> in the heat of summer because it was like darker is better. Darker is better, and so I and so that worked out well for me because I was right because you get you, you, know? Get <laughs> you know it's just I mean this is such a I just love that you're leading this kind of conversation because ultimately the the curiosity and. Hey, tell me your story. Hey, where tell me about your journey. That is mm-hmm. like that is the bridge. Yeah. Even between white Asian, but within the Asian American community. Yeah. And ultimately, what it, the goal, right? Tell me what your goal is, but I see it as just this healing of oh, Vivian, you know, I maybe I came into this conversation thinking like, oh, she's she's probably like this. You know, mm-hmm. like okay, mm-hmm. she's going to but it's just like, okay, I feel like I'm learning, you know, yeah. what a gift. So yes, I love it. And I think that that's where it's like, the more we infuse our lives with, like in the same way for you growing up with so many international experiences of just people with flavors and how your life was enriched. I think that the more we expose ourselves to people who come from different backgrounds and different growing ups, it just expands our understanding. So even socioeconomic differences, um, you know, obviously the ethnic differences, but my heart expands when I have friends who are black, then when we talk about black lives matter, it, I have specific people in my life that I love and um, know personally who share their stories that confirm the very biases that it, that they have been trying to communicate. Like, no, there is a difference to drive as a black person or even as an Asian American. When I walk through the airport right now, we have coronavirus happening and um, I am very Mm self-aware that people may assume things about me because of how I look that I might be carrying the virus just because I'm Asian, which is ridiculous. Like Italians are carrying the virus as well, but there's not the same. um, You can't see Italian as much as you can see. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I don't want to ever erase the fact that I am an Asian American woman. I want to grow in my appreciation. I know that, um, you know, both of us are, you know, are, um, people who are Christians. And so we believe the Bible and the Bible talks about, you know, every tongue, tribe, and nation are represented one day in heaven. And that means that we don't all become like non, like spirit forms that you can't, t- there's actually a distinction of languages and colors and tribes and tongues. And so I will be in my belief system in heaven as an Asian woman still. Like, you know, it's like, this is part of the celebration. So it's not something to try to push down. Um, And it's also something that I can try to learn and understand. And so that's why part of the podcast is even learning Asian American history to help, you know, bridge that gap. So I'm curious with a Thai dad, like, how much Thai was infused into your life? Like, were there particular celebrations or was that something that because he'd married into, you know, living in the U.S., San Diego, Caucasian, like, was that part of it apart from the name? Um, what was that like for you? Well, you know, you just know what you know, right? So <laughs> <laughs> growing up, we would eat lots of curry mm. and I he would speak different times in Thai, but not a lot. What time did I So I just know very little Thai, sadly. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, a lot of times there, I think for my dad who came out of Buddhism was mm-hmm. a real strong, there was a little bit of rejection in, mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm not going to bring those traditions into our home. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't actually until I went to Thailand in my twenties and lived there that I started to put pieces together. Wow. Oh, you know, and also, also being around other Asian men, Thai mm. men, 
Mm. Um, it was like so interesting because it helped me understand my dad a lot. Mm. Like, oh, he's what I have interpreted as like silent, his silence and um, withdrawnness. Mm, mm. It's not really a lack of love. My dad loves me, but mm. really, he has a very hard time saying it. Mm. Like, I don't think my dad has ever said he loved me, ever. Mm. He mm. might text it to me, mm. you know? And mm-hmm. I mean, we joke about it. It's a joke for me and him, like, Dad, I love you. And he'll be like, nothing, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> I think a lot of my journey has been understanding my dad. Trying to understand the culture. I mean, a big culture in Thai. The Thai. I mean, one of the biggest themes in Thai culture is fun. Thais love to have fun, mm. so that's something that we did a lot in my house. We had so much fun. We played games. I mean, he would be very serious, you know, to very silly, mm. and so he knew how to have fun. But I think that is one of the two things. One brought in from my dad from his Thai background is sh- shame is very strong. Mm. And that passed down to me. And I'm trying to break some of that as I parent my kids. But the other one is have fun. And we have mm. fun. Oh, I love that. I love that. That is so incredible that you spent time in Thailand. Yeah. Because there's something about absorbing the experience that is Loved different it. than being a tourist. Loved it so much. You know, like walking down the streets and buying food from the market and all of that. I think it just, that's beautiful. When you were in Thailand, did they recognize you as Thai? Like did they, when they saw you, how was that? They did not think I was Thai, which Mm. is shocking. I thought they looked more Mongolian. Really? Yeah. So I was traveling with another friend who was uh, Japanese, Asian American Japanese and they constantly were saying that he looked Thai. And I was like, no, I'm Thai. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Well, I would love to, like, you mentioned, you know, the Thai curry. Do you have fa- favorite Asian comfort foods? Yes, please. Yes, please. Uh, I- yeah. <laughs> um, we, we have uh, three things I would eat every single day if I could. Uh, Penang curry. Mm. So Thai curry. My dad makes the best Penang curry. Uh, we do something called Thai spaghetti. So that's an integration of my mom's Indian and the dad Thai. So it's basically like the very thin, thin noodles. Mm-hmm. Um, we use, And she integrates Thai curry and some Indian spices. And it's good. We call oh, it I love it. Even though it's, so it's, it's a made up kind of dish. I love it. So it's kind of this fusion. Yeah unique to your family. Yes. And then we do uh, the mangoes, mangoes with sticky rice. With the, <gasps> coconut. With the coconut milk. Oh, I love that. That's it's one of best. my favorite desserts it's on the, the planet. It's oh my goodness. I, know. I could eat that every day as well. I'd eat that with you sitting on your porch. Yes. Just please. all the day long. I love that. I love that. Well, tell, tell me a little bit more like you've obviously through photography and travel and even just this your your work with the, with um, the Moms We Love Club and raising money and stuff. There's been places where you've had led out, and do you have principles of leadership that you kind of like use as a a plumb line or a north star for you? Um, yeah, leadership that you want to impart even to your children. Like, what are I some do. of those principles? Uh, two come to mind. One is don't build a platform to go well. And for me, there's such a strong force in our world that's build a platform, get Mm -hmm. bigger, get louder, get the microphone, look at me, see what I'm doing, follow me, do it my way. Mm. I'll take you there. And that's just not how I've chosen to lead in any Mm -hmm. of the areas where I'm in leadership. For me, I really... I really think about like where 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 are my feet in the earth right now? Where mm-hmm. are my hands? Where are my toes? Where are they like gripping to the earth? And that's where I believe God has me. My passions, mm-hmm. my cre- uh, the way I've created been created, my story, my ethnicity, my mm-hmm. season of life, all of those things marry together and that that puts me in a specific place in this earth. And I feel like all I have to do is dig 
Mm. Me right where I am. I believe that God is with me there. And that as I do that work of digging, and I don't mean by digging work, like I have to work and make this happen. I don't mean that. I mean, Mm -hmm. just be where I am and with God and water will hit water. And whenever that water comes, my only role, my only thing I have to do is offer it to the people who come to that well. Mm. I don't have to go find them. I don't have to convince them to come to my well. Mm. Like, but I have. Yeah, yeah. Would you like some water? And this is the thing, Vivian, everyone is thirsty. Yeah. Everyone's thirsty. That's right. Every single person you see today is thirsty for mm-hmm. physical water, but then spiritual water as well. Mm. So that's one principle I live by. It's, and as I've done the Moms Who Love Club, as I've written this book, both are true. Um, I, I just don't want to be a driven person. That's just mm. not who I think I'm as who I'm created to be. Yeah. I oh, think I'm just supposed to be like a person who offers people water. And this is mm-hmm. all. And I think that's really, as I've led the Moms We Love Club, which it, it, what it is, is a really a social media campaign. So it's a Instagram feed where once a month we feature a mom who is going through intense long-term hardship. Mm-hmm. I don't mean she just, you know, I mean like years of pain, wow. years of caring for sick children, for a husband who's, you know, been in and out of the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, so these are moms like in it. They are yeah. and heart moms. And, yeah. you know, initially the community rallies around them, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, after time, year three, year four, they get forgotten and it's, yeah. it's just what happens. That's reality. And so my hope is we find those moms. And we Mm. whisper in the ear, we see you. And Mm. what we do is we feature one mom a month. And how we do that is we post a picture on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Mm -hmm. And as we do that, we invite people to pray for this mom, Mm -hmm. repost the picture and donate money because they need money. They need money and they need the support. More than anything, they need to be seen and reminded that they're loved. And so how that came to be really was this well where I was, where... I don't have a huge Instagram following. I don't even remember what it was at the time, maybe like 5,000, okay? And it was like, okay, well, God, this is what I have. I love yeah. photography. I love how photography opens a heart up. Mm, mm. And so it's like, let's take really good pictures of these moms in their everyday element, which draws people into empathy and compassion. Mm-hmm. Let's bring these moms new follow people who will just pray for them after mm. this month is done. And let's bring some money. So it was like, that's God. This is all I have. Mm-hmm. I have a love for photography. I have a love for moms who are hurting. And I have like 5,000 followers. Okay, let's dig a well. And that's what we did. We invited people. And I mean, over the past two years now, we've been able to raise over $200,000. Wow. Who feel desperately alone. So, wow. And how do these moms find you? I, do they, yeah. do they it's apply? Always through, it's always through a friend. Wow. So that then there's that community, their real life community mm-hmm. rallies around them. So, mm-hmm. oh, that's incredible, such a beautiful. It's so simple, and so yet simple. it it's it's doable in a way. And I love that it is a bringing together of all of your passions too. That is yeah. really really incredible. I love it. Oh, and I, I'm a cancer survivor, so oh, I'm you. so um, ten years in remission. So I'm so grateful. But I, I agree, there is that initial. The phone doesn't stop ringing, but as treatment goes on, it's really it just you start to kind of get lost in the wilderness. And uh, I love that you would be be an oasis in the midst of a wilderness time. I hope so. I really do because, I mean. It's hard as humans, we want people to be fixed. Mm. And when they can't get fixed, it's just, it's honestly, it's painful for them as well. Yeah. And it's hard to walk through people through long seasons of pain. Yeah. It just is. That, you probably have a true friend in your life who walked with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And it's, and as, as amazing as my husband is, it's too much for just the one to carry everything. It really requires a little, you know, an inner circle and the, and yeah. even beyond. So, um, yeah. And it's hard to be a gracious receiver, yeah. but I love that you would be mindful to 
post photos that are full of dignity and beauty that, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's not a, it's not manipulation. It's really like honoring the person. Yeah. In in a beautiful way. I hope. And that's part of it. They have to get a professional photographer and most Mm. all the photographers volunteer their time, but it's like capture the beauty, capture the realness, capture every day. Mm. Oh, I love that. That is so excellent. So you have your first book coming out. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. I'm Tell so us a excited. little bit about that. Yes. Uh, well, and again, I think as you're asking how I lead, you know, what is my motivation for leading? Everything um, really that I say yes to, because I could say yes to so many things, but I really try and only say yes to um, this phrase that God's given me where it's stay awake to love. Stay so, awake like, to love. Yeah, like those moments, mm-hmm. you know, we're so tempted to fall asleep. I am, mm-hmm. um, check out, disconnect, avoid, run away. And I felt like, you know what? This is, this is a call. Like this is what it, to be human. Like at the end of my life, I want to look back and know like I stayed awake to love even mm-hmm. when everything in the world and everything in me wanted to run away. So stay, that's the name of my book. It's really an invitation for women to stay with their everyday aches, disappointment, pain. And so as they stay with those places where they want to run, mm. um, what they do is they stay. And as they do that, they enter into a deeper relationship with themselves, God, and others. Mm. Oh, that's so counter the the... I think the lie that we think, okay, if I could just like Netflix, Netflix binge, you know, or eat that whole bag of Oreos that somehow that would fill and that the escaping isn't where real life and growth takes place. So well, I love that message. It's true. We have, we have strategies. Mm-hmm. They're subtle. They're very subtle strategies. I mean, even think of maybe I can even ask you this. It's like, are there in this moment in your life, are there places where you experience resistance in small ways, in medium ways, in large ways, mm. right? Those everyday aches, like, I don't want to answer that phone call. Mm. I don't want to return that email. Or the, more, the larger resistance of you see someone at the grocery store and you turn the other way. Mm. I don't want to encounter them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want right. to see them. Or larger ways like trauma. And I say mm-hmm. trauma, and I don't mean trauma like that you were even abused as a kid. That's big trauma. That's trauma. But I think a lot of us experience small trauma that we completely negate wow. and don't give any sense of worth or value to. Hmm. It could be that kid next door who teased you. Mm-hmm. It could be mm-hmm. a teacher who shamed you in public. Yeah. You know, we all, and so I think, I mean, yeah, right, Vivian? Think, I'm turning this on you a little. Like, do you, can you think of something? in your life right now where you're like, yeah, I'm resistant to that. Mm, gosh, there's a lot. <laughs> so. I mean, not that you have to share it much, Vivian, but it's like, it's, I want women to start thinking about your strategies to not stay. Mm-hmm, Do you mm-hmm. use humor? Do you use um, giving people advice? Mm. Do you use, um, I bite my nails? Right. You know, there's, there's these little and small ways, but the, that space right there between seeing that person in the grocery store and how you act, there's this space right in the middle. Mm. Like you can even call it liminal space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in that space, you have a choice. Mm. You have, you, we, we are so habituated to go into our strategy. I'm going to sure. turn the cart the other way and just, you know, yep. it's because I'm busy, you know? No, yeah. no, you're not. You don't want to talk to that person. Mm. That person makes you feel inferior or you're afraid. You know, and so it's like in that liminal space, what I want to invite women to is like stay right there. Mm. That, that stay with that. No, Vivian, you're just, you're afraid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like to say, God, I'm afraid. And I know you're here with me. Mm. I want to stay with you. I want to stay with myself. I want to stay with the real me. Mm. So. That is a lot of what my book is about. Entering wow. those places where we attempt to run. Mm. Oh my goodness. I can't wait for it to hit the shelves. That is so great. Well, we will definitely hook up all the links. How can people find you um, on social yes. media and all that stuff? Well, number one, follow the Moms We Love Club. 
It yes. is the best, most beautiful thing on social media. I just <laughs> love it. So you can find um, the Facebook page, the Moms Who Love Club, or the Instagram feed. If you want to, um, I talk about motherhood. I talk about stay. I talk about staying awake to love. All on love, always. Angeli on Instagram. Mm. Yes. If you so get my book, my book will be up. on Target shelves. Yes. It'll be on Amazon. Grab it. Grab it while it's there. That is so fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love it. And Thank I'm thinking you. San Diego is not that far. So we will, we must have some mango sticky rice together yeah, and continue the conversation and all Thank of that. But what definitely, Thank I you think... Thank um, having me. Oh, absolutely. And I can't wait for you to be at the next event. So we'll just circle already March 6th. Got all it. right. It'll be Ooh. the next live event. And... Um, and just it. think like in a year's time, like your book will be a year old, oh. you know, it's just a whole nother, <laughs> a I lot can happen I in love a year. You're ready for your next conference. Like uh, it derail just, you. it's, you know what? It was so amazing. And I think everyone left wanting a little bit more. I so I just feel like we're, it. we're we'll tapping into something. And I think that it's beyond just, hey, woohoo, sisterhood. I think that there's just a longing that you even have alluded to, like, you know, just what does this mean? And there is a difference between Asians, yeah. you know, Asian Americans are a very unique blend of Eastern and Western values. Wow. And so really being able to celebrate and, and explore that and learn how we all operate in um, who we are made, you know, and how we're made and how we reflect um, to others around us, you know. Keep digging your well, Vivian. So, yes, I'm going to be holding that close. And I love the kinds of questions you're asking. It's very clear that um, your work is being um, needed through your own life. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a matter, just like theories or whatever. I love that this is who you are and Mm -hmm. how you're living it out. So what a fun to meet you as a new friend. And we will definitely connect up. I think we just need to connect in human. Yes. At some point. That's what my my daughter, when she was in preschool, she she would say in human instead of in person. So let's just meet in human. We'll do that. So let's do that. Thank you so much for taking time and look forward to seeing you again soon. All right. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us this week on Some Days Here. If you've liked what you've heard, please take a moment and subscribe to the show so that each new episode automatically downloads to your device every week. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. We would love for you to rate and review the show so that others can find out about us. A special thank you to the brilliant team that makes Some Days Here possible. The Some Days Here logo is designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. Show notes on the website are by Vicki Pham. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The director of design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantelle Reynolds. Have a great week. And we look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Someday is Here.